Hello again, everyone. We're thankful for another opportunity for us to be able to study the Word of God together. Thankful for each one of you that, again, take your time to listen to us. We hope that we could be a help to you in the Word of God. So last time, we uh, finally, that was our 22nd um, Bible study in this Elijah and Elisha uh, account, story, and we were just introduced to Elisha, and we seen his call, which uh, in the flesh, it wasn't a spectacular call. It was a casting of a mantle, and that was it. But God working in the heart drew him in spite of what Elijah said, drew him to God, and that's the way the call of God works. It's not man that does that, it's God that calls, and certainly thankful that he called us. But that brings us to chapter 20 here, and uh, I've been back and forth on what exactly to do with chapter 20, because in this chapter there is no mention of Elijah or Elisha, but I do believe that it is pertinent to the following chapter and the account that we have. So I, I believe what we'll do is we're just going to graze through this. We're not going to read it all. Um, maybe we'll spend this, uh, this study grazing through chapter 20 and uh, gleaning some of the messages out of it. And next time we'll pick up in chapter 21. Because Elijah and his fight, his war, uh, his call of God really in this life was to fight against the evil of Ahab and Jezebel. And here we're going to see Ahab and Jezebel and we're going to see uh, the work of God here. So in chapter 20, what you're going to find, uh, if you look in verses 1 through verse 12, Benadad, who is the king of Syria, uh, so an enemy king in opposition to Israel, he's going to send messengers down to Ahab and to Israel. And he says, the Bible says, we're going to look now in verse 3, the silver and thy gold is mine, thy wives also and thy children, even the goodliest, are mine. And the king of Israel answered and said, My lord, O king, according to thy saying, I am thine and all that I have. So now you think about the, the wickedness now and the blind heart that Ahab has that the king of Syria is going to send messengers down and say, look, I'm coming. I'm going to take all your gold. I'm going to take all your silver, your wives and your children. What I see that's good in my eyes, I'm taking them too. And Ahab is not going to argue, but he says, whatever you want, you can take. Uh, nothing's off limits. Now that's, that's a sure sign of a heart that is depraved, blackened, and dark. And so he's going to send messengers back. Benadad is going to send messengers again. And he's saying, I am going to take the gold, silver, wives, and children. But tomorrow I'm coming, and I'm going to send servants, and they're going to search everything you've got. And anything they see, and now this 
this is something here. This is verse 6. That whatsoever is pleasant in thine eyes, they shall put in their hand and take it away. So he's saying, my servants are going to come, they're going to search. And he doesn't say whatever they, they want, whatever's pleasant in their eyes, they're going to take. But whatever's pleasant in thine, whatever you think is good and pleasurable, we're going to take it all. And now listen, the truth is, the devil is never, ever going to be satisfied. He's going to take and take and take. You're not going to be able to buy him off. You're not going to be able to pay him off. Ahab agrees to a, a ridiculous demand of you can have my gold, my silver, the wives and children. You can have those, whatever pleases you. You can have those. But that wasn't going to be enough to buy Benadad or to satisfy him. He's going to come and say, I want everything he got. Anything that you feel is good, I'm going to take it for me. Tell you, the devil would like to cower. He'd like to cower the church. He'd like to cower every man and rob him of everything that he's got. Salvation, first and foremost. But I tell you, he'd like to have it all. He'd like to rob everything that we have. So when he says this now, Ahab, he doesn't like this. And so he calls the elders of Israel together. And he says, look, Benadad sent asking for gold and silver, wives and children. I agreed to that. But now he's come back and he's asked again and he says, I'm going to take everything. Ahab says he's just looking for mischief. And the elders and Ahab come to a consensus. Don't do what he says. Don't consent to what he says. So Ahab sends messengers back and says, I'm not going to do this. So they go and tell Benadad that he's rejected. And Benadad said, this is verse 10, The gods do to me, and more also, if the dust of Samaria shall suffice for handfuls for all the people that follow me. So this is he's threatening here. And he's saying, look, I'm going to come down there with an army so great that they're going to be able to carry all of the dust away in their hands. My, the number that's coming with me is so great that they're going to be able to gather up all the dust in hands and carry it out. Now that would be a, a large number of men. And he's threatening. He's trying to stir fear. He's saying, I'm coming, and I'm coming with enough men that you can't even imagine. And so the king of Israel answered. And this is, I, I, this is a verse that caught my eye. There's, there's one more that's, that's wonderful in this chapter. But this is what Ahab says. Tell him, verse 11, Let not him that girdeth on his harness boast himself as he that putteth it off. And so the picture that you're getting there, I know maybe that's not as plain to see as we would like, but what he's saying is don't let the man that's putting his sword on to go to battle brag like the man that's won the battle and is taking it off. He's saying don't get ahead of yourself. And I think that's, a, that's just a wonderful little saying there that Ahab says. So Benadad's not, he's not got his army up yet. But Ahab's going to say don't boast like you've won the battle already. You've not won anything yet.
And when Benadad heard this message as he was drinking, he and the kings in the pavilions, that he said to his servants, set yourselves in array. So he had sent this threat to Ahab, thinking why he's just going to surrender to this. But there was no surrender to it. And then he sets the battle in array. It's the devil given that second chance. Just like you see the three Hebrew children down there in uh, Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar says, look, I'm going to give you one more chance to bow down. I'm going to heat the furnace up, and if you don't bow, I'm throwing you in. Well, that's what Benadad's doing here. But there's no compliance. We're not going to do what you say. Don't boast as if you've won. And so Benadad calls the army together. And in verse 13, we're going to see an unnamed prophet. So we don't know who this is. We assume it's not Elijah or Elisha, but just a prophet brings a word to Ahab that God is going to give victory to Israel for this purpose, to prove that thou shalt know that I am the Lord. God is going to prove to Ahab that he's the Lord and that he's in control because he's going to allow Israel, the little nation of Israel, to defeat this great number of Syrians in battle. And Ahab, Ahab believes what this prophet says because Ahab asks him, well, who's going to order the battle? And he says, you're going to order it. And he says, well, who's going to bring this deliverance? And the prophet says, the princes. So Ahab, he gets the princes together. And Ahab sets the battle in order. And he goes. So he's following the prescription that God gave through this prophet. He's going to do as God commanded. And they go out at noon. And they go out to battle. And there's a great slaughter. And so, uh, verse 20, And they slew everyone his man, and the Syrians fled, and Israel pursued them. And Benadad, king of Syria, escaped on a horse with the horsemen. And the king of Israel went out and smote the horses and chariots, and slew the Syrians with a great slaughter. So it was just exactly like God promised. Israel went out against this great army, and defeated them. And so, this is not going to be the end of it, though. In verse 22 and following, you're going to see the servants of Benadad, they're going to come to him and say, look, this God of Israel, he's a God of the mountains. And we fought our last battle, we fought it in the mountains, and they won. But their God, he can't win wars in the plains, he's a God of the mountains only. So let's go set the battle in array against Israel in the plains and we'll set it just like we did before and we'll crush them this time. But God knew before any of this happened that this was going to because in verse 22, the prophet, that unnamed prophet, comes back to Ahab again and says, listen, you strengthen yourself because he's coming back. He's going to return at the beginning of the year. And so the, they counsel with Benadad. Benadad agrees. 
He says, that sounds good. Let's number the Syrians and let's go to Aphek. Let's go out here to this plain country and let's set the battle in order and let's kill these Israelites. So they went to uh, set the battle in array. And the, the second verse that really stood out, verse number 27 here, I just think this is a beautiful picture. And the children of Israel were numbered and were all present and went against them. And the children of Israel pitched before them like two little flocks of kids, but the Syrians filled the country. So if you picture this now, here is the, a plain country, a, a flat, kind of like the Midwest here in the United States. It's flat. And here's children of Israel. You picture yourself now up in a high place looking out over the plain. And Israel looks like two little flocks of sheep out there. Now you, you can picture what that looks like from a distance up on a high place. You can see the two little flocks of sheep. Well, that's what Israel looks like. And the rest of the field, the rest of the plain is full of the Syrians. I mean, my gosh, what chance does Israel have in this place? Naturally speaking, they've got no chance. But here they go. God's promised victory again. Um, in verse 28, God says he's going to give victory because the Syrians said that the Lord is God of the hills but not of the valleys. God says, I'm going to prove to the Syrians, I've proved to you, Ahab, that I'm God, that I've got all authority and power, and that I can deliver and I can cast down and destroy whoever I will by whatever means that I see fit. Now, I'm going to prove to the Syrians that I'm God, no matter where it is, no matter where they run to, they cannot get away from my power. I'm in control on the mountain, and I'm in control on the valley as well. So he promises victory again. And in verse 29, they pitched over one against the other seven days, and in the seventh, the battle was joined. And the children of Israel slew of the Syrians a hundred thousand footmen in one day. So in the war, in one day, a hundred thousand men fell at the hands of the Israelites. And what's left is going to flee into the city of Aphek. And there a wall fell upon 27,000 of the men that were left. So Israel in battle kills 100,000. The, the rest of the army retreats back into the city and there a wall falls and kills 27,000 more. Almost a quarter more, 25% more, 27% more to be exact. Men are going to die and Israel's not going to have anything to do with it. So that in one day... 127,000 men are going to be slaughtered by the power of God overrunning this great Syrian army with little Israel, two little flocks of men out in the field. And Benadad, because his armies got whooped, he's going to flee. He's going to hide out inside of the city in an inner chamber. And in verse 31 to 34... Now, Benadad's got some wise servants, and they're going to counsel him and say, Look, they're merciful. Let's put on sackcloth and ashes, 
and let's go out and, and let's uh, put ropes on her head and go to the king of Israel. Peradventure, he'll save her life. So, you know, you think about it reasonably now. If we continue to fight, we're going we're gonna to get killed. We're, we're defeated. Our army's gone. We don't stand a chance. We're going to die. So why not put on sackcloth and go out to the king and seek after some mercy? Well, that sounds reasonable. Do they mean it, though? They're just looking for a way to save their neck is what they're looking for. They're not repenting. They're not sorry. They're just beat. They've lost the battle. There's nothing they can do about that. This is just a last resort. Maybe if we do this, he'll let us live because we're not living any other way. So they, they do this and they go out and Benadad says, I pray thee, let me live. And so they seek after mercy. And Ahab in verse 33, they bring Benadad to him and he makes an agreement with Benadad. Ahab and Benadad come to a covenant and Ahab lets the king of Syria go. Now, the, the very king now that came up against them, that wanted the wives and the children and the gold and the silver, the one that couldn't be satisfied, even though Ahab agreed to that ridiculous demand, he wasn't satisfied with that but he wanted to take even more from them. And the man that when, he, when they wouldn't give in to his outrageous demands, he said, I'm going to come and I'm going I'm to lay waste to you. And God delivered him into Israel's hands. And then he said a second time, I'm coming to lay waste to you. And Ahab's going to let him go. God's delivered him into Ahab's hand the very enemy of his kingdom. And Ahab's going to make an agreement with him and send him away, unable to complete and accomplish the work of God. Now what you're going to see here is prophet, a certain man of the sons of the prophets, he's going to give a parable to Ahab. So he's going to ask a man, smite me. And the man won't smite him. And because he would not do as the prophet said, the prophet said, a lion's going to devour you when you depart. And this certainly came true. Then he found another man and said, smite me, I pray thee. And the man smote him, so that in smiting he wounded him. So the prophet departed and waited for the king by the way and disguised himself with ashes upon his face. So this man, this son of the prophet, He's been hit now in the face. He's wounded, probably bleeding. He's going to put ashes on his face and he's going to hide who that he is to be sure that Ahab don't recognize him because God is going to get Ahab to declare his own judgment. Ahab just let the very enemy of Israel that God delivered into his hand, he let him go. Now God's going to let Ahab, Ahab is going to declare his own judgment. So the king rides by, and this prophet cries unto the king. And he says, Thy servant went out into the midst of the battle, and behold, a man turned aside 
and brought a man unto me, and said, Keep this man. If by any means he be missing, then shall thy life be for his life, or else thou shalt pay a talent of silver. And as thy servant was busy here and there, he was gone. And the king said unto him, So shall thy judgment be. Thyself hast decided it. So think the picture now. He says, I was out in the field, I was out in this battle, and a man brought a man to me, and he said, look, I want you to keep him, keep him safe. If he gets away, I'm going to kill you. But if you keep him, I'll give you a talent of silver. And he says, I agreed to keep him. I agreed to these terms. I said, look, I'll keep him. If he gets away, I'll, I'll give my life. But if I keep him, I'll get a talent of silver. He agreed to those terms. And he says, look, I got busy, and the man got away, and I don't know where he's at. And Ahab said, well, you decided your fate. Just as you've decided, that's what you're going to get. So Ahab says, just your decision has what is what brought this on you. You agreed to the terms. You let the man go away. So you're going to pay the payment for that. So in verse 41, And he hasted and took the ashes away from his face, and the king of Israel discerned that he was one of the prophets. So he cleaned his face off now, and Ahab can see this man's a prophet. Now do you reckon that his heart sank when he realized who this man truly was? I mean, he Ahab considers God, the word of God, and Elijah to be his enemy. So he said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Because thou hast let go out of thy hand a man whom I appointed to utter destruction, therefore thy life shall go for his life, and thy people for his people. Ahab, you have declared your own judgment upon your head. You let a man go that was the enemy of Israel that sought after your destruction and a man that I appointed to be destroyed. You let him go. So now you're going to pay. You're going to die. So the king of Israel then, this is the last verse of the 20th chapter, the king of Israel went to his house heavy and displeased and came to Samaria. So heavy and displeased, he's sullen and he's angry and wrathful. He's in a place now that he's just, he's angry at the word of God, and he's sold up, and he don't want to talk, and he's not going to be pleased. Now, do you reckon that that brings any profit to him? We're going to see this same reaction in a verse or two in the next chapter as well. But is it is it of any value to soul up at the word of God and say, well, I'm not going to speak, I'm not going to communicate, I'm not going to eat, I'm just angry about this. That's of no value or benefit to anybody. But that's his response. No repentance, no sorrow, no weeping, no crying. He's sold up and he's angry. So that's that's looking at uh, chapter 20. And... Uh, we're short this time. We were long last time. We're going to be short this time. But that's where we'll stop and we'll begin looking in 21. We'll see Naboth 
and his vineyard there, a familiar account, I believe. Uh, but that's where we'll look next time. But to set in order now, even though there was no Elijah and Elisha, we saw a furtherance of Ahab's story that in spite of Ahab and Jezebel's evil, God still won a victory for Israel. And yet in that victory, even in God delivering Ahab from his enemies, Ahab wouldn't, wouldn't complete the will of God, wouldn't kill the enemy of Israel. It just speaks loudly for the type of man and king that Ahab was. So hope this word of God's been a help to you. Pray for us next time we'll dig in and look at uh, Naboth and his vineyard in chapter 21. Love you. Hope you have a wonderful week.